0: We are wired and born to belong. Human beings are social animals. It has been proven scientifically that it is a need when not fulfilled. When you are excluded, for example, from a tribe, it causes uh, severe pain.
1: On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Yogesh Sony, a father and former Silicon Valley executive turned coach, consultant, and now author. We'll hear how Yogesh found a unique path to Silicon Valley studying at the finest educational institutions in the world, but soon realized his technical skills were merely table stakes to a career in the global heart of technology. The true skills, the human skills, were noticeably absent. We'll follow Yogesh's journey where he found himself face-to-face repeatedly with loss of dignity and how this experience unearthed his true purpose of helping leaders grow and develop a culture of belonging. And we'll hear how this discovery led him to writing his new book. Check out the show. Welcome to the creator community. This is a podcast for book publisher, New Degree Press. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,300 published authors from six continents and has earned the 293rd spot on the Inc. Magazine 5,000 list. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. This is episode two of season four, and today I'm excited to have with me Yogesh Sony. Yogesh has built technology products used by millions and has worked globally in the world's top tech companies for two decades, imbibing culture from Asia, Europe, and America. Yogesh is a lifelong learner with an engineering degree from the Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur, ETH Zurich, and an MBA from UC Berkeley. Unfulfilled at his job, Yogesh realized he is not alone. Most people go through the motions through the week and live for the weekends. Yogesh decided to embark on a mission to change the status quo. In his first nonfiction book, Digital Belonging, he dreams about a world where every person feels invigorated by their jobs while delivering results. Yogesh, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on your show. It's an honor. It is a pleasure to see you today. Before we dive into your book, I think it's always fascinating to understand a bit about your career journey and how we got here. So Yogesh, take us a little further into your career journey. number of schools you've been to and clearly a passion for learning there. Let's learn more about that.
0: Yeah, like many things, a lot of things in my um, life have been accidental. Um, well, the engineering was not. First thing was not. I was chosen, made to choose to take an engineering uh, degree. The other, only other option I had was to become a doctor. I did not fancy doing autopsy on a frog. So I just chose engineering and it worked out quite well for me. I went to one of the best schools in India, Indian Institute of Technology. You mentioned that earlier. But then from there, I took my life in my own hands. I was quite bored in a uh, working job at such young age. So I decided I want to travel a little bit. That's when I decided to move to Switzerland, which is perfect if you love mountains and if you want to hike all year round, right? And I ended up staying in in Switzerland for about eight years because I loved it over there. But after a while, I was something, you know, I needed a change. And since I was in the tech company, tech businesses, I decided to move to the Mac of technology, which is Silicon Valley. Around the same time, I wanted to be a little bit closer to how the businesses work, a little bit closer to the customers. That's why I decided to become a product manager at the same time. I did my MBA from UC Berkeley. It was insane to be working full-time and doing MBA for three years. I do not advise it. If you want to do it, do the MBA full-time. Yeah, and in my latest uh, job, the latest gig was, I was leading a product team at eBay, building e-commerce solutions using artificial intelligence, something which is very deeply fascinating, the power of this technology.
1: So you took this incredible learning journey, if you will, took a few uh, sidesteps. I love, I love hiking. I love going in the mountains and getting that fresh air. What do you think that was about? Why did you decide to take this sort of deviation journey, if you will, from this, you know, go be a doctor, go do these things. What what inspired you to do that, you think?
0: Yeah, I've never been sort of a conventional guy. You know, when I was doing my bachelor's in engineering, all my seniors were going to the U.S. to master after, And I decided to go to Switzerland because I realized that Life is not just like a ladder that you have to climb it step by step, right? Just take a few detours here and there, uh, whatever catches on my fancy, I just try to do it. I think that's the way to live life, right? You live only once, so try to take in as much as possible.
1: Do a, don't have to follow the traditional path. I love it. And so you went off, did this great exploration, got yourself this extraordinary education, landed in Silicon Valley, working for one of the biggest technology companies in the world. That's amazing. So how did this book thing enter your radar screen?
0: Yeah, so I think it coincided right about the time when I was nearing my 40th birthday. Uh, a lot of my friends told me that it's all downhill from here. So that's <laughs> a typical midlife crisis. Such optimists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, now, okay, we got only one life. So I, I love working. I love building technology products. I love when when people use these products, beautifully designed products. I just simply love it, right? I love working just that there was something amiss even though i enjoyed still building technology products i was not working in organizations which made me feel that i cannot wait to go back to work on monday right? and make no mistakes i have felt that before when i was working in switzerland i had this feeling where in switzerland they close everything on the weekends and those were the days where we did not have laptops. We couldn't take our laptops home. It was a desktop-based world. So I had to wait until Monday to actually physically be in the office and, and work there, right? So I remember th- that feeling and the feeling now. So something was amiss. And I I tried to find companies where there is a culture which will energize me again, but I could not find it. There's no way I cannot enter on Google, find me a company where I would learn. I did not even uh, know how that company looks like, which would energize me as an employee, there were no easy answers, So I decided to find out and it resulted in a book.
1: You didn't know how to find a company that would inspire you or invigorate you. I love that. And so what was it like getting into this book program for you? What, how did that invigorate you or how did you find invigoration through that journey?
0: So when I was thinking about writing this book, I knew writing a book is very, very hard thing to do. I met Professor Eric Custer through LinkedIn. That was pure coincidence. He runs Creator Institute which teaches book writing. Obviously you're familiar with that. And when I spoke to Eric, he blew my mind away. and he told me that only two person people who start writing book actually finish. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but he introduced me to the concept of writing with the community. never write alone as he likes to say. And that was such an incredible experience. I could not have uh, done it alone. Uh, So we were writing together with a community of other authors. As soon as we were struggling, we would support each other. And then we had an amazing cohort of uh, all the author coaches, editors. They taught us that book writing is not only about writing the book. It's so many different things. You have to wear so many different hats. You have to be a social media marketer, publicist, uh, salesperson, all those things were taught to me by author coaches. I remember one of the author coach, Kaira, she taught us that you can put yourself out there. In, and when we created an indigo campaign, and sold, I sold one hundred and fifty books when barely a rough, poor draft was written of the book, right? I was so afraid to put it out, but Kyra encouraged us, cleared all our doubts, and we just put it out there. Right? It was amazing. And uh, through this uh, program, I gained a lifelong mentor. Uh, he doesn't know it yet that he's my lifelong mentor. His name is John Saunders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. You know, the feeling is the same, my friend. The feeling is the same. You know, for 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 those who may not know, what Yogesh is describing with Indiegogo is one of the ways you can actually fundraise your publishing costs, which is part of the coaching process here. And there's a few ways to do it, but that is one way. That's actually the way I did it. And I could tell you when I went through the journey, I sat down with my wife uh, a week or two before I had to sign that contract and said, "Uh, I really want to write this book, but it's a few thousand dollars to get it done or several thousand dollars. And I said, I think I'm going to be writing a check for, or we are going to be writing a check for a few thousand dollars to get this done. And through the coaching, through the process, through the the journey that we were able to raise well above what we needed, which was awesome. So good for you for getting that done as well. Thank you. So the book, Digital Belonging. What is digital belonging? Yogesh, what's that all about?
0: Digital belonging is about how to build organizations where needs of the employees are at the forefront. And when I say needs, it's not throwing more money at them. It's not having even fancier offices. It's really about finding out what their human needs are, what their psychological needs are, and creating a culture, fostering a culture which caters to that human need, allowing them to feel completely safe and actually getting them in a a position where they can do their best work which is why we hire employees after all, right? Isn't it? But unfortunately, we don't do that enough.
1: Right. It it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud like that, right? Treat people well, understand their needs, don't just throw money at them, right? That is not the end game for everybody. And yet that's kind of what you witnessed in some of your different career paths over the years and found that maybe this isn't the right way to do it. So how did, you know, where did this, idea where did this topic sort of into your radar screen and how did it come
0: where did it come clear to you can you think of a time yeah so i think i have been thinking about it for a while now <laughs> it's just there were some experiences that i'll just recall i'll recall an experience i'll tell you the story so i was working at a big fortune 500 company and it was like about 100 people organization and the vp of the org we like to call him the big boss he called for this ask me anything session. And it was a big audience, big conference room. We thought, well, ask me anything. So when you go to such a meeting, what do you think? Okay, well, I can literally ask anything, anything about the business. Together, we'll come up with some ideas, right? That's what uh, the feeling was. I was sitting in the back. I've always been the back ventures. I was like, sitting in the 10th row and I was sitting with uh, close my, one of my uh, close friends. Let's call him the naive, curious guy because he naively asked Uh, Probably a good enough question. I think a reasonable question. And the question was, hey, the big boss, this particular product XYZ is not for the last few quarters, we have not seen any revenues. It is so important for companies overall business strategy. So what's going on? Are we not investing enough? What's the problem? It's a fair question to ask, right? Unfortunately, the big boss did not take it that way. And all of a sudden, he lost it completely. And his nose was flaring. And he let it out on the poor guy and he said, okay, so you are—you think you are such a big shot. Let me do one thing. Let me make you the leader of that particular product. I give you six months. Let's see how much revenue can you muster. Would you bet your job on it? Complete silence. It was not only just him. Everyone else, like there are hundred people watching, we are scared, shit. (laughs) And and after a while, that naive curious guy quit immediately. And after a while, like even I felt this fear in me. And whenever I would be invited to some brainstorming for sessions, for example, I felt that I could not express my ideas openly. I felt claustrophobic, right? I think in the next six months, not only just me, that guy, but probably 10 others quit. And in Silicon Valley, just imagine 10 high-paying Silicon Valley talented professionals. The cost of hiring them alone is like a million dollars. So just two minutes in that meeting, one meeting costs a million dollars to the company. Now, just multiply it. This is happening over and over in so many companies. Just imagine the cost.
1: Two two minutes of losing is cool and at, a, at an ask me anything session, which I mean... Talk about the most ironic uh, title for a meeting that you might attend in your career and then have that result come out of it. And not yeah. only there's the hard cost of working with recruiters and you know getting all these people replaced, but right lost work over how many months that it takes to get this done and then getting these people up, the new people up to speed and this kind of thing. Unbelievable story. So getting through this book, you're a busy guy, you're working, having a busy job. It takes a a big mission, a big why to get this done. Yogesh, what would you say your why was to get digital belonging off the ground, which, by the way, will be available uh, this spring, late spring 2022 on Amazon and wherever you buy books online?
0: Uh, I think to answer the why, we have to probably take a journey back for quite a while ago, about 20 years ago. This was way back in 2002, I think, I believe. I was living in a campus during my engineering days, particularly cold, chilly evening. I was walking to a street vendor uh, to eat my favorite snack. It's hot boiled eggs with some spicy chutney on it. Chutney is kind of Indian thing that you put on on a variety of things. As I was eating my favorite snack, I saw one of my classmates come by. He was a huge, tall dude. He was, after working out, he was, you know, the guy had a temper on him. And he ordered like five eggs um, and he was being served by the son of the street vendor. And I think the little son was barely six or seven years old, so you can imagine uh, six, ten year old. Sometimes, you know, these kids, when they have poor parents, they cannot go to school and they are helping out with the business of their parents, unfortunately. So now the kid, the poor kid was trying to help this guy and the guy was very, very impatient. And he let out a yell at the kid. He was like, what's wrong with your kid? No one ever taught you how to peel legs in your family? And the kid was literally shaking, the tears rolling down his chubby cheeks. He was wearing a you know, tattered cloth, you know, like... I just could not believe that someone could direct the poor kid. And the kid's father couldn't say anything because he was a poor guy. He was from a low caste, low caste, where low caste people have traditionally over thousands of years have been suppressed and oppressed in India. He has virtually no power. He's powerless. He knew if he spoke up, he will be thrashed. His stall would be vandalized he would never be able to do his business again in that area. So he didn't say anything. And I couldn't say anything because I was speechless. I was scared also. And I realized that someone has to speak up for the kid, right? And dignity was violated there right in front of me, and I couldn't do anything. And I thought something like this could never happen to me. Right? So I had moved to Silicon Valley, come back to present, had moved to Silicon Valley, and this high-flying techie, well on his way to become an empowered leader, C-suite guy and whatnot, right? Until recently, I found myself trading places with that kid. So now as an Indian techie with an elite pedigree, I'm hardly an underrepresented uh, minority in Silicon Valley. So something like this could never happen to me, right? Well, wrong. I was really surprised and shocked when... I was humiliated, literally threatened, excluded, ostracized at the workplace. At first, at first, actually, I did not even recognize it that was happening to me. And after a few months, when it continued happening to me, I tried to raise my voice. And raising voice is so hard. First of all, no one believes you that it happened Then onus is upon you to prove that something like this is happening because the perpetrator... The way the reason perpetrator is doing these things because they are already in powerful positions. So they can afford and get away uh, with these things, right? So I was so powerless. Um, I could just walk away from this company, you know, just imagine probably it's one bad experience and just walk away silently, go find another job. But then I couldn't. I said, no, I cannot go out silently. So I had to speak up. And in writing this book, I am actually speaking up because there are millions of other people, right? There's my nine-year-old son. He's going to be working in some of these companies in the future. I cannot. I want to leave a better future for my son where not only him, but millions like him find do not find themselves in such positions when they decide to take up a job in a company.
1: It is really hard to imagine a large adult male screaming at a six, seven, eight-year-old kid who's trying to help him out. But that is just hard to imagine. And then, of course, fast forward to your own career and having similar experiences along the way. It's, it's mind-blowing. It doesn't sound like this happened to you one time. Yogesh, it sound like it happened a few times. Why, why is this such a pervasive thing, you think?
0: I think we, as a society, we build um, these hierarchical structures and when people have, are in a position of power, they're in power of, they're in position of rank, then they tend to, some people tend to abuse it and unless it is checked and someone, a lot of people speak up, right? And it's actually, it's a term called rankism coined by a physicist called Robert Filler. And you see this like racism, uh, all kinds of isms that we see is essentially rankism and you just tend to abuse it and i particularly think that in our organizations we have natural hierarchy but in in many many ways these hierarchies have outlived their utility and we need a new kind of organization we need a new kind of organizing culture
1: Uh, a more Human approach, a more uh, belonging approach, if you will, which I think is yes. right what this book is very much about. So, you're you're an AI guy, which is right, this the, the the pinnacle of technology, if you, I, I think at least at this particular moment in time. Right. So, how did you come to write such a you know innately human book? Do you think
0: <laughs> that's funny?
1: It feels, yeah, like so... a, feels like a bit of a, a, a disconnect there, right? Or a, a right two right. worlds so, colliding,
0: yeah, yeah. So, even though I build artificial intelligence platforms, I am. Myself is pretty much a human guy. It is yet, right? So I'm not an AI-powered robot myself. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have deep empathy. And I think what prompted me to write this book is my training as a product manager. So I built products for humans. And one of the primary skills I have in my job is to deeply empathize with our prospective customers mm-hmm. Uh, to figure out what they need, and then we build the best products for them. Right. And as I turn my attention towards organizations, I imagine organization as a product and employees as a customer. So just figure out: okay, what, what is the differentiation of the company? If you want to retain employees, what is the differentiation? What is your mode? Right. And I figured out the user experience of the employees as it's now, it's just terrible. It's unbelievably bad, right? Just compare it to other products. It's it's very, very bad. So that's how I said, okay, let's figure out what the human needs or needs of employees actually are. And that's how I got into this book.
1: So finding this parallel between building products for humans and then thinking about applying that to the employee construct as well.
0: Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I can give you an example. Like, for example, when we are hiring, that is the first time when we are trying to uh, entice prospective employees and talented employees to your organization, right? That's the first point of contact. What do we do? Traditionally, what we do is we make them go through 10 different interviews. Each of these interviews lasts like several months and each interview is like about an hour long. Typical scary person will come in and they will ask questions after questions after questions for an hour. In the last two minutes, they're like, okay, do you have any question for me, right? And two minutes that they give you the, the inter, interview, they give two minutes. Do you have any question for me? So one time I asked, actually, do you have other 15 minutes? This is my question. Do you have other 15 minutes? Because I would love to learn more about the role. And it's like, no, I don't. I have to jump on another call, right? So and instead, when I was hiring, what I did was I reversed the role. I First thing I would do is introduce the, the role in the company to talk about it myself a little bit. But then I would ask the interviewee, "What would you like to learn about the role in the company? Tell me. Take as much as time as possible, like take 30, thirty minutes, right? And that changed the equation, and that changed the power dynamics, right? I was no longer a representative of all powerful company, right? So we were on equal footing. So this is why, like every single inter uh, interviewer, sorry, interviewee. Uh, told me after this interview that this is the best interview they had because they could speak about it. They, they felt that they were treated nicely right so this is just an example you have to figure out all the contact points with the employees and figure out what's the wrong with the experience and then try to fix it
1: so you took your own approach to creating this belonging right out of the gate and empowering and enabling your your potential hire to have some voice in the journey that's really awesome that you took that upon yourself, recognizing it was, it was a problem yes. because it sounds like, you know, the status quo was something that, you know, as you've seen in your experience, wasn't really working. And it creates a lot of risk for all these things you're talking about, people quitting and disengagement, all these things. So why, why do you think this sense of belonging is is so important in the workplace? And, you know, why do we need this?
0: We are born to belong as, as proven by actually research, a good scientific research. I can give an example. There was a research done where they took an MRI scan of the brains of infants as little as two weeks old. What they found in the study was the natural cognitive state of the babies when they're doing nothing is very similar to the cognitive state humans enter when they deeply engage in social connections, right? So in other words, like I said, we are wired and born to belong. Human beings are social animals. It has been proven scientifically that it is a need when not fulfilled, when you are excluded, for example, from a tribe, it causes uh, severe pain. And actually the areas in the brain which are responsible for registering the pain they light up and when humans are exposed to this pain over a period of time, their mental, psychological well-being deteriorates significantly and their lifespan shortens, right? And it happens, it, we, we are actually evolved to feel this way because imagine like take a journey back into the African Savannah, if you we were not together, if you are ostracized from a tribe, you would die there was 100% chance of you dying because you could not survive in the jungles all alone, right? So we are evolved to feel being a part of a tribe, a community, etc. And what happens when you come back to workplaces? Everyone for themselves, right? Your own individual career ladder, everyone's performance, individual performance evaluation, career paths, cutthroat competition. And... You spend all your waking hours at workplace and you don't find this sense of community, right? And your human brain doesn't care about your promotion or your human letters. What it cares about is being in that natural cognitive uh, state where you feel that you belong. That's why it's so important to build a culture which cultivates a sense of belonging.
1: Goes all the way back to the, you know, the early man. That's a, a really interesting yeah, to think about. We that
0: changed. we have not changed at all, actually.
1: It, it's a survival technique in many ways, uh, if you will. So, what do you think, leaders? You know, what are they missing in creating this belonging and community? What's 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 the gap there, and how do they fix it?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, the reason is it is very easy for you to see physical scars. Right? We don't allow at workplaces to punch each other, for example, right? <laughs> But when people behave in ways which is detrimental to their health of their co-workers and leave mental scars, those scars are invisible. And anything that you cannot see, you cannot fix. That combined with this uh, doctrine of Feeling that people primarily work in self-interest, that is just plain wrong, right? So we are think everyone is working in self-interest, just give them extensive motivation, incentivize them with cash, stocks, and all those things, and everything will work out, right? So we are in that doctrine. Unfortunately, again, the research has shown that we are wired to grow together. There's a theory called RCT, which posits that actually when we are helping each other learn and grow, we are ourselves growing much faster and that is the best way to learn together and that culture is completely missing and we have built our organizations that goes against our natural sense of being, if you will, and and I, I don't blame anyone, it's just that it's very hard to see and all of our leaders are not trained psychologists, right? So they wouldn't necessarily know about this research. Yeah, but this is something, a message that I would love to spread to every single person who is in the position of leadership.
1: And if it's the culture that you've been working in and are familiar with, maybe as a leader, you don't know another way, or maybe you don't feel safe going in another direction, right? I think there's a possibility for that as well. You, know, you talk about community as a leadership strategy and a mindset. And I think for some leaders, maybe that might be pretty abstract thought. So what is that
0: and what do I do about it? How
1: do I bring this into my company, into my team?
0: So when I say community is a mindset, it's it's about recognizing that you are not here to just do well for yourself. You are equally responsible for well-being and growth of those around you you never have a mindset where you want to win alone you always want to win together i mean that, just think about it. it's very simple that's why you are in a company right otherwise we should all be solopreneurs <laughs> if you right why why come together as a company because you are towards like a you know, like a common goal right unfortunately that is not the case how we are we are organized that's why i say community is also a strategy this is how you do things at these companies. There are companies like Salesforce, which have deployed the millions of their customers, foster them in a community of loyal people or loyal customers, and it brings a very small moat, right? So similarly, use the community for all things. For example, take something, innovation. How do you do innovation as a community? Tell you a story about uh, a young millennial, Steve, who joined this giant company called Johnson and Johnson. So he was in a seven-person startup, and all of us join a company which is like probably hundred thousand people. And he wanted to figure out how is innovation done in this company. And he just ran through so many roadblocks, and he just started finding some instigators like himself. So, they became like started a small community of 10 people, right? So, together, they started an office of innovation. And what they found was the major problem was there are good ideas everywhere, but they are not coming to the forefront. They're not being turned into real products. So, what they did, they started this small community. They found a mechanism of how to spread the ideas, powerful ideas. It's called TED. I'm pretty sure you have heard about the TED Talks. This this is a mechanism to spread your ideas in a very powerful talk, right? So they started this TED Talk, TEDx at Johnson Johnson. They started very small within six six years. Their community grew from 10 people to 20,000 people. (laughs) Incredible. 20,000 people now building TED Talks, presenting these ideas all the thousand VPs in the company watching. And if the ideas resonate, not only the VPs are provide funding and resources, but they are like engineers, marketing specialists, scientists. They all come together if the ideas resonate with them. And there was one person who wanted to build a tool to diagnose the depression better. And she like presented this. I think she uh, gave a... Amazing, amazing talk with a, and received with a lot of standing ovation. She went from delivering the TED Talk to launching an app for diagnosing depression, I think within six months. And that's how powerful it was, right? That's how uh, Johnson Johnson turned this community into this powerhouse of innovation churning. Now you can do this virtually anything.
1: 10 people to tens of thousands, a little bit uh, taking some time, allocating some time to experimentation, innovation and and running with it. Do you think you know can it sounds to me like other companies could do this, right? It, sometimes we get lost with innovation and think, oh, we have to sort of do these big projects and flip everything on its head. but in this case, this little group put it together, began to build upon this thing and and really found a way to make it go and drive sounds like enormous impact. That's awesome. What a cool story. You know, you talk in the book about transparency, right? I think transparency is a tricky one because as a leader, I have to give you enough information to make you feel like you know what's going on. But then there are certain things that maybe I don't want to make you aware of, right? So any thoughts on transparency and, you know, how do I find the right level of it? And what do I do with that?
0: Uh, You are um, absolutely right. Transparency doesn't mean that you have to let out all your dark secrets to the world for us to see right
1: or maybe even projects that are pending you think might happen and if you share that then suddenly people think it's going to happen and then if it doesn't right that could be awkward so it's a tricky one
0: right but i think if there is a culture of transparency then what you think right now is we live in an opaque world with opaque organization and with the pandemic induced remote work is even more opaque. You don't see any people anymore, any anyone in the offices. All the visual cues are gone. Poof, right? So we are in complete dark. And your only way into the organization is through your through your laptop screen, through your Zoom window, right? It's almost like being logged into a lodged into a prison where you see other inmates only through this. <laughs> little window that you have, right? That's how I feel. About, that is right? an interesting analogy. I haven't heard yet. That's interesting. Right? <laughs> and what happens because of this opacity is that all your anxieties come to fore. You don't feel safe, right? You don't know who will turn back on you. Sometimes I feel like as if working now, I'm actually in a war-torn country where there's suddenly a sniper will take me out, something like that. Right. But as you eliminate, as you eliminate your organizations and things are transparent. For example, what is our business strategy? What are the challenges being faced by the companies? What are our customers saying? Right? Everyone is well aware of it. Everyone knows what projects are important and what are not important. It's also important to tell people, okay, these projects are not really aligned. Right? Everybody knows who is working on what. Everybody knows. Whatever they want to do in their career, how to grow, everything is laid down transparently, right? So the nerves calm down. And once nerves are calmed down, suddenly it becomes easier for their leaders to share an uncomfortable thought or something bad happened, right? So leaders are also allowed to take, make mistakes. And in businesses, things go wrong all the time. Business is the height. <laughs> Business is super, super uncertain, Right. So, but nobody, if, if you don't tell the younger generation who are coming up, who come up, like for example, who have joined as a software engineer, they don't know much about the business, right? So as a leader, it's our job to teach them how things work and play it out transparently well. And once you do that, it's not the news itself. It's not the bad news itself. It's the mental state of the employees that may be causing the problem. So once they're in a better state, they can take up some pretty good, right? Like we we have to stop treating our employees as with kid gloves, right? They they are not kids anymore. They're not school <laughs> kids anymore, right? So we have to trust them to be adults uh, about it. Be, be transparent, empower them give, them, give
1: them some autonomy. But I am also hearing a story of culture building here, right? Culture... Yeah. I think sometimes people think it's something that lives on a website it's words that live on a website and it's I suppose it is to some degree but really it's about how we treat each other how we talk to each other how we communicate how we let people take or not take risks and these are super important lessons in this incredible new book you have uh coming out late this spring digital belonging so this book journey was about a year long for you yogesh how did you say the book has changed you you know what have you learned about yourself along the way
0: that's there's so many of things that I can pick up right off the bat. <laughs> uh, the book writing journey has been uh, amazing. You mentioned that it's has been one year long journey, and I had to be very patient. Typically, I was like in, this impatient guy who wanted to build the products out, ship it in like two weeks, right, in a sprint, etc. Right? It's always built, but you cannot do that with a book. You have to write. One paragraph, you know, I still remember the first paragraph I wrote was terrible. There's no way. And I'll be turning this stuff into a book, right? And you have to keep, keep doing it, keep doing it for a year. And that has made me a very, very patient person. Another way is like it has just revalidated my faith in the community. I talked about all the different authors, all the author coaches, but also my friends who have supported me for my book campaign and complete strangers. They're based in South America, they're based in Australia, they're based in Germany. And I've gotten a call with them. I remember there was a psychologist who taught me, I am not a trained psychologist at all, who taught me basics of psychology, like in three or four hour long Zoom calls and stuff like that, right? And for no, they, they're not getting any money for it. They're not getting money compensation they're just doing it because it helps me and they're finding meaning in helping me. And because they, the topic resonates with them also. Right. So and this just is part how, of your book. Sorry. Yeah. So this is how then these are all the people who helped me to write the book, right. To help me all do all the research, bring out new ideas, bring out stories and things like that. I could not have done it alone. Right. So like Eric says, never write alone. And, and, this power of community shows up again and again. And that's why I say, okay, the book itself is is actually living an embodiment of how the organization culture should be. And there was a third thing that I lost my train of thought, but there was another way, a very important way that that the book has changed me. It'll come to me later.
1: (laughs) It'll come back. So all this enormous knowledge and support came from many times total strangers that you reached out to or, or to interview for the book or research the book. And it just showed up because they wanted to be involved and wanted to support you and and help you learn a girl. That's, that's incredible. And what a great analogy. So many parallels in your story between writing the book, your career early in life and these experiences you've seen. And I love how you apply them in so many different aspects of your life, because at the end of the day, it's all about connecting and being part of this community and belonging as your book title suggests. And I love how you find these parallels across all of your life. So, so many really interesting positives in terms of the book itself any unexpected positives just from the journey itself or opportunities that have come in front of you because of it?
0: Yeah. So I think one thing that really came about as I was writing the book, when I explored deeply the concept of belonging and the power of community, I realized that as a person who is a part of community, you have to let the other people in the community of the hook sometimes they make mistakes in other words you have to learn to not expect them to be perfect and the same applies for yourself as well you have to give per- your permission to yourself to not being perfect and that was life changing for me this book itself i can uh, we i'm done with about writing the book and i can already see this 15 different ways in which I can improve the book, like right away, (laughs) I can go down, right? I cannot do it and I have to live with it. I have to be okay to share it with the world right now, as it is. And I may receive bad reviews about some things, right? And I have to learn to be okay with it. And guess what? I am actually okay. So I have made peace with it. I'm okay to be imperfect. And that was the biggest positive for me. I think it's gonna help me.
1: I love this. There's this idea of this community support and digital belonging. So you learned about the concept of the book as you went about writing the book, but also these key concepts of being patient and getting yeah. away from this idea of perfectionism, which I think many of us can can certainly get trapped up in because a book is very permanent, isn't it? Right. Once it's published, yeah. there it. Is. That's it. I, <laughs> I remember doing an interview a few months ago about my book. And the host of the show asked me, he said, What was the hardest part about writing your book? And I'd actually, I don't think I'd ever answered that question to this point. And I paused and thought about it for a minute. And I said, deciding when it was done, Because <laughs> to, to your point, yeah. to this day, I look at the book sometimes and think, oh, well, I could have made that <laughs> paragraph better, that story better, that sentence better.
0: Yeah,
1: All sorts of little things you could pick at. Well, what a great level of self-awareness and self-learning you've had along this journey for you. Yogesh, what would you say is the key message of the book you want readers to take away?
0: The key message is for the well-being of your employees. And for building an organization where the employees are doing the best possible they can for the business, you have to focus on their mental and psychological well-being. Build a culture that is fostering the meaning, the, the sense of belonging at workplace. And you cannot do it by traditional methods of just throwing more money or giving more stocks or that next promotion. The digital, the, in digital belonging, the word digital is a bit of a digital stands for dignity, inclusion, growth, independence, trust, appreciation, love. So these are the human values, human needs that are needed. And if you want to build a company where employees want to work for a sizable amount of time, you have to fulfill these human needs. There is no other way.
1: So, so important to to get people involved, engaged, empowered, and ultimately to deliver results and be happy doing it. It makes such, such a huge difference. What a powerful story you have to share with creating this new empowered culture out there. Yogesh, amazing story what's next for you
0: i just started my own consulting i am helping out leaders foster a sense of belonging at their workplaces i think it's very much needed i'll give you an example recently i was speaking to a friend of mine who's a software engineer works at a very famous fortune 500 company in silicon valley and he's extremely well-paid and this, this company is known for paying a lot of money in their stocks is doing amazing uh, he, he was about to quit the organization because 20 other friends have also quit recently in their organization and the vp of engineering in an all-hands meeting recently literally begged for the software engineers to not quit begged to give him Another six months, saying that something will change. My friend quit. He found another equally, like, was a probably better paying job. And the begging did not work at all. So begging probably will not work. I'm imagining for <laughs> plenty of more organizations and not just for this organization. What will work though is being very, very intentional about figuring out what extra are you going to offer the employees? Because if I, as an employee, I'm going to spend most of my time when I'm awake, away from my family, working for your organization, you better give something more than just cash, right? Because cash is abundant. Like all the other companies are also paying cash, right? So what have you got, right? Don't tell me that you're offering 401k match. Well, every company is offering that, right? So it has to be something unique to your company. And what I do is figure out what is that unique value prop that you have for your employees because that unique differentiation, that unique value prop is going to build a competitive mode which is going to help you retain your employees and at the same time help them to do their best work and produce business results. Really f-
1: fascinating uh, story and roadmap you provided for leaders. I think is going to help so many more as you go through about helping leaders identify this sense of belonging, what makes them unique, and, and building a strategy and a roadmap to to make it happen. Interesting that your two of these stories are such extremes. One guy saying, "Hey, you do it, uh, and I'll give you six months, or you're out of here." And the other guy begging people to stay. Uh, so you've you've seen the full spectrum of it across your journey, Yogesh. What an incredible story to help companies create the sense of belonging, build better results. And really, at the end of the day, make people happier and want to stick around, right? Who who wants to deal with turnover all the time? So what a powerful message. Thank you for sharing it.
0: Thank you so much. It was lovely to be on your show, John. I look forward the, to talking to you later.
1: The pleasure is all mine. Yogesh, people want to learn more about you and your book. Where might they go? You
0: can visit my website, yogeshksony.com, or you can contact me on LinkedIn at Yogeshksony.
1: Yogesh, Y-O-G-E-S-H. K-Soni, S-O-N-I, right? not to be confused yeah. with the, uh, one of those tech companies out there, right? Yogesh, great to see you. Yogesh's book, Digital Belonging, will be available this late spring 2022, wherever you buy books online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you find books online. I'm your host to the creator community. Keep moving forward.